back to Monster Kid Radio, return listeners. And if you're brand new to the show, welcome to the podcast that celebrates the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'm your host and producer of Monster Kid Radio. This is episode number 33. Now, normally we have an episode every Tuesday and Thursday of the week. However, this week is going to be a little different. So I mentioned this on the last episode of Monster Kid Radio. I'm actually going in to have my gallbladder removed tomorrow on Wednesday. So I'm not going to be in podcasting shape. I was planning on having enough content edited and ready to go. But Sunday night, I was in a really bad car accident. Now, obviously, I'm talking to you here now. So I mean, clearly, I'm not incapacitated yet. But uh, yeah, This week has been all kinds of fun. I've had a very monstrous past couple of days and not in the good way. So this week on Monster Kid Radio, you're going to get one episode, and I'm incredibly sorry about that. But I'm also very thankful because Scott Morris and Tracy Morris recently attended Horror Hound Weekend. And while they were there, they attended a Super 8 film festival. We've got a report from Horror Hound. And they're going to break down the film festival and talk about what they saw, how they saw it. Very interesting bit of, well, I guess it's monster kidism because a lot of movies were only viewable in the home through this Super 8 format. And I think this would have been a really neat film festival to go to. Horror Hound Weekend, I haven't been in a couple of years. But the one thing that I've learned about all these horror festivals is that the best thing about them is meeting your friends, meeting people that you've met through podcasting, through online communities, things like that. It's the one time that we're all in the same place, and it's just a blast. And I miss seeing people at Horror Hound Weekend and the other conventions that I used to go to. That said, I would have really liked to have gone to this Super 8 Film Festival. It sounds incredible. Now, Scott and Tracy will break down the specifics about who put this thing together in their segment. And again, big thanks to those two for doing this episode of Monster Kid Radio this week. Now, my intention is to be back personally next week, maybe even with two episodes going back to the traditional Tuesday-Thursday format. But it depends on how I do after the surgery and what life is like sons gallbladder. I'll come back at the end of the show to wrap things up after Scott and Tracy right after this. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Down Place is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts, describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. A podcast about Hammer? I don't want to be the one to cross Tony Stark. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Down Place can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Oh, so it's not Justin Hammer. 1951 Down Place, the home of Hammer Films discussion. 
Hey there, MKR listeners. This is Tracy Morris. And uh, her husband, Scott Morris. And you may know us from the Disney Indiana podcast. We've both also made appearances here on Monster Kid Radio. And Scott is formerly known as Need a Nickname Scott from Mail Order Zombie. Tracy and I had the opportunity of attending the Horror Hound Convention in Indianapolis. And one of the things that we got to do, uh, which was new for us, was attend a couple of Super 8 film festivals. Now, I was vaguely familiar with Super 8 films from when I was a kid. One of my cousins was into animation and filmmaking, and he actually had his own projector and would bring mostly short subjects like The Little Rascals or Laurel and Hardy shorts to show to the kids during uh, family holidays. But it turns out a lot of feature films were edited down into the Super 8 film format from the 1930s till almost into the mid-1980s. Now, for those of you like me that weren't that familiar with the format, there's two different lengths of these um, Super 8 films. There's the 200-foot, which makes a film that's about eight minutes long. And then there's the 400-foot length, which makes a film about 16 minutes long. Now, a lot of film companies would put out condensed versions of their films in this format that consumers could buy and bring home and thread through a projector and watch you know, on a wall or a screen or whatever. Now, they would just distill the movie down to its most important parts and maybe add some narration that would bridge the gap and tell the people watching the film what was going on. Another option was sometimes the movies would be split up into chapters so they could be shown on multiple reels, and we saw a couple of examples of that as well. These films were presented by Tom Stockman from We Are Movie Geeks, and he's actually out of St. Louis, Missouri. About once a month, he does a film festival at a local bar in St. Louis. He's also done special theme nights at different conventions across the Midwest. He did a Vincent Price film festival around um, the time of Vincent Price's 100th birthday in St. Louis. He's also done uh, Hammer uh, Films uh, film festivals. And the first one that we got to see was a Ray Harryhausen film festival. Now, he decided to go chronologically for this one, and we started off with Mighty Joe Young from 1949. Now, the problem that we had a little bit was the room there at the convention that they put us in had windows in it that faced west. And since this was the evening, the sun was uh, shining through the windows, even with the blinds closed. The room didn't quite get dark enough to be able to watch films in this format very clear, especially Mighty Joe Young being black and white. And the print that he had was somewhat dark. Some of it was kind of hard to see that there was a monkey on there, but it was a lot of fun to see exactly what was cut down. As with most of the Harryhausen films that we saw, most of the good stuff that was uh, left in for the Super 8 was most of Harryhausen's work. Now, I had not seen Mighty Joe Young before. I've not seen the full version. I've seen bits and pieces. So seeing it here in the Super 8 format really makes me want to see the longer version. And that's a, uh, a recurring theme. Most of these that we get little bits and tastes of, we want to now go and see the full versions. Uh, now, the next film that we got to see was one that I did have seen before. It was 1955's It Came From Beneath the Sea with the giant octopus attacking San Francisco. The next one was, in fact, a film that's been reviewed on here, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. This was the eight-minute version. And one thing I thought it was interesting that was not in this version 
was the saucer crashing into the Washington Monument. Right. They had the uh, scene where it crashed into the Capitol building. But like we said earlier, they just cut this stuff down to its bare minimum. You know, the whole backstory of uh, us launching the uh, satellites into orbit was gone. The whole backstory of the aliens controlling different people, you know, reading their minds and turning them into jelly, that wasn't there. You know, it starts off with the uh, spaceships landing in the research facility, laying waste to it, and then us trying to decide on how to, to fight it and inventing that sonic gun and then the uh, big scene at the end in Washington, D.C., and that was pretty much the entire film. <laughs> Uh, we then saw 20 Million Miles to Earth from 1957. Again, this was a film that I've seen bits and pieces of over the years, but definitely want to sit down and see the entire film. And then we moved on to some of the Sinbads. We saw two of the four chapters of 1958's Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, the Evil Magician segment and the Dragon's Lair segment. It was hard to really notice any semblance of story if you hadn't seen these films before since he only showed us even half of what's available on super 8 but it was fun just to get to see um, the different scenes that um, was picked for these on a bigger screen so it was a lot of fun to see that next up was mysterious island from 1961 which of course is based on a jules verne tale that again was enough just enough of a taste to pique my interest in seeing the entire film yeah, it was fun to see the Nautilus in a non-Walt uh, Disney film. <laughs> uh, after that, we got to see a couple of chapters of 1963's Jason and the Argonauts. We got to see Battle with Talos and the Golden Fleece. After that is one that uh, Derek's going to find kind of funny. Uh, we saw 1966, One Million Years B.C., which was the Hammer film. And I'm planning on also talking about this on our next episode of 1951, Down Place. But uh, really, it was uh, a much better version uh, in 8mm than it was watching the entire version. Most of the um, interaction between the uh, cavemen was uh, cut out, and we just got to see Harryhausen's work mostly. The next item he showed was interesting. It was Sinbad's Golden Voyage, but actually it was the making of that film from 1973. So you actually, there were little bits and pieces of interviews with Harryhausen. You got to see some of the concept art and the model building. Stuff that you would see on uh, bonus features on a DVD today. And I didn't even know that Super 8 had that, you know, people were creating that type of content for Super 8 films, which I thought was really cool. And it was fun to see uh, Harryhausen's workshop. And we wrapped up the uh, Sinbad series with 1977 Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, which I haven't seen. And honestly, I've heard this is the weakest of the Sinbad. So. Yeah. Uh, Tom, who was running the festival, he basically said that, uh, yeah, this was the, the weakest of the Sinbad films, and it was uh, a good way to watch the film in this format to just see the good parts. We wrapped up the Harryhausen Festival with the three-reel version of 1981's Clash of the Titans. So that lasted about 45 minutes. And again, it was a good distillation of the larger film. Yeah, a lot of uh, Harry Hamlin's um, acting was uh, left on the cutting room floor. It was fun to see that, and um, the whole evening lasted, what, three and a half hours, I think it was, total? Close to that, yep. yep. And we knew going into the Horror Hound weekend that that was going to happen. What we didn't know, and what, he what Tom announced um, this night, was he was going to do another show on Saturday night. He brought a bunch of random uh, films from his collection, 
and invited us to come back at uh, 8.30 on Saturday night, uh, which I did because I just, uh, some of the films that he had talked about, and we'll cover here in a second, uh, really intrigued me to see them in this format. Uh, And that started off with 1956's It Conquered the World with uh, Lee Van Cleef and uh, Peter Graves. And what was uh, amazing is we get a little narration uh, about Lee Van Cleef's character contacting the alien to come down, and then we immediately jump into uh, his wife fighting the alien, and then Peter Graves going in and killing the um, general. And then we get the final scene with Lee Van Cleef and the flamethrower and the giant carrot. So it was really a quick uh, overview of the film. I missed the first couple movies because I was busy doing some other things, but Kingdom of the Spiders was next from 1977. Yeah, she missed the chat there doing his battle with the spiders. And it was, again, you know, real cut down. We get to see uh, the spiders attacking a calf at the beginning of the film. You get uh, a little bit of the back and forth between the scientists about what's going on. And then we get the big scenes at the end where the the spiders are attacking the town and capturing uh, Shatner and his crew in the uh, the restaurant. And you know you get the the classic scene at the end where the whole town is covered in spider webs. <laughs> Maybe it's just as well I missed that. Uh, next up was an episode of the TV show Johnny Sacco and the Flying Robot from 1967. Now, yeah. did you see those on TV when you were? I, I did yeah. not see those, and this was, you know, the classic big Japanese monster type film, and uh, it was an episode where uh, Johnny Sacco uh, gets a giant robot to control with a little wristwatch, and he tells the you know the giant robot to fight the bad guys and everything, and it was probably eight minutes long, but a lot of fun. The uh, next film screen was one that we actually saw last October during one of the Fathom events, Bride of Frankenstein from 1935. So how did they manage to cut that down, Scott? Well, you start off in the film meeting Dr. Frankenstein and meeting uh, the other doctor that has the the little tiny king and the queen. and Dr. Pretorius? Yes, Dr. Pretorius. Thank you. I was blanking on his name. So you get the scene where Dr. Pretorius and Dr. Frankenstein are partnering up to build... Uh, a woman, then you get immediately to the scene where uh, the Frankenstein's monster uh, attacks the girl with the lamb, gets shot at a couple times, and then boom, we're right into the climax of the film with the making of the woman, her showing up, rejecting uh, the monster, and then the monster destroying the the lab. So it was, again, this was another short one, maybe seven, eight minutes long. Then we jump forward to uh, Warriors from 1979. Come out and play! I still wasn't uh, in the room yet, but even just hearing about this from Scott kind of makes me want to go see the movie again. You know, we had the shooting at the beginning of the film. We have the warning going out to all the gangs to take out the Warriors. We have the group of the baseball players. The uh, baseball furies. Yes. Attacking the Warriors. And then we immediately then go uh, right to the end where you find out it wasn't the Warriors. And oops, spoiler alert there. But again, I was surprised that films that were made so late, you know, 1979, earlier we talked about Clash of the Titans, were still available in this format. After that one was probably one of the most funny ones we watched. A very politically incorrect film, a little rascal short from 1933 called The Kid from Barneo. 
And wow, this was uh, a quite fun to see. Basically, the a couple of the little rascals are told that their uncle is coming to visit, and their uncle works in this traveling sideshow, or I think he actually owns it. And he writes on the paper, uh, the letterhead has this picture of, you know, stereotypical African tribesman from Borneo on there. And of course, the kids think that that is their uncle. And so they go down to, to meet the uncle and they see this guy instead. And of course, you know, the kids are all talking about, you know, how, how wild is he? Does he eat people? That kind of stuff. And it turns out that the way that the sideshow trains his tribesmen is they give him candy and he when he sees the candy, it's like, eat them up, yum, eat them up, yum. And of course, Buckwheat has some candy. And so he starts going, eat them up, yum, eat them up, yum. And all the, the kids go scrambling and hijinks ensue. But it, it was very funny to see this film. From a different time, shall yes, we say. Very much so. Uh, next was a classic 1975's Jaws, distilled down to eight minutes. All you get in this version was the shark attack at the beginning. You get the, the scene where they hire Quint to, to go after the shark. You're immediately now on the, on the boat where they're out chumming. You see, you know, we're going to need a bigger boat line come up. Then you got Richard Dreyfuss's character going over in the shark cage. Immediately then thereafter, the shark is uh, eating Quint as he's fighting him off. And then uh, right after that, we've got uh, Roy Scheider throwing the scuba tank in the shark's mouth and him shooting it as the boat sinks. Literally, it was seemed about that quick. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I wish I'd had a chance to see this next one. It was 1953's I Changed My Sex, which is what Glenn or Glenda was titled in the UK. That's another thing Tom mentioned. He actually gets quite a few of his films from the UK, as well as the United States. Yeah, it was quite odd to see this. Uh, you know, I've seen bits and pieces of this film before. And seeing Bela Lugosi kind of staring off in you know the famous stare of his, uh, superimposed with women sort of in bondage on a couch, and then it goes right into the transvestite story of Glenn or Glenda and, and what a transvestite is and what it isn't and everything. It was just odd, and it was again one of those that was cut down pretty short. So we return back to something a little more near and dear to our listeners' hearts in MKR Radio, Destroy All Monsters from 1968. Again, it was cut down quite a bit. We see the, the different monsters attacking uh, different cities. You see that the aliens who are controlling them, you know, the humans get the control back of the monsters. They send a monster from space to fight. And then you have a good eight or nine minutes of the big monsters fighting each other, which was uh, all you really need. That's all you really need. None of this backstory. Let's just have the monsters fight. And that's was fun to see it in this format. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, next up was, it was a, another one, a classic film, 1973's the exorcist, which was interesting to see in this format as well. You just get what you need to know about the story. Yeah. No, nothing more. Yeah. It's basically the cliff notes versions of all these films. I finally arrived in time to catch about half of Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein from 1948, which we I we saw last year, didn't we? Or two years ago? We saw that at the Artcraft Theater, or at least I did a couple of years yeah. ago, and then uh, we have the Blu-ray here. And it was funny to kind of watch it because they don't make any mention of uh, the Wolfman being with them. And for most of it, you don't see any of the transformations of the Wolfman, so you don't know that you know, that's who that is. If you're just watching this version, then all of a sudden at the end, when everybody is 
uh, in the lab and they're all running around, you know, he turns into the Wolfman finally and you're like, oh, this is out of nowhere if you didn't know the story. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went into the movie called Fistful of Yen, which is actually from the Kentucky Fried movie from 1977. If you're not familiar with the Kentucky Fried movie, it's it was um, the Zucker Brothers' first film, I think. Yes, directed by uh, John Landis. And it's just a pastiche of different movie parodies, I guess. For example, Fistful of Yen is basically a you know Hong Kong chopsaki spy type movie. Uh, the film itself is you know fake trailers, fake TV shows. It's all rapid fire for most of the f- uh, film until you get to a Fistful of Yen, which is like fifteen. Uh, minutes of the overall movie and like uh, tracy said it's this warrior kung fu bruce lee type character that's sent in to uh, do a james bond type of um, mission and it's just got really trademark zucker brothers type of humor and everything in it and this format just showed that part of the kentucky fried movie and, and nothing else So we went from a very tongue-in-cheek type of movie, or two of them actually, with Abbott and Costello, to 1953's War of the Worlds, which I hope Derek is going to cover on MKR someday. If he doesn't, he should. Now, we're assuming everyone's familiar with this, so again, it was just kind of cut down. This is not the Tom Cruise version. Oh, God, no. So it's, again, cut down to pretty much just the best scenes. I wish they had shown the first capsule unscrewing. I understand why it was cut for time, but I just, I always enjoy that particular scene because it's so suspenseful. But they pretty much cut right to the tripods, which, of course, in this version are the floating tripods, you know, laying waste to the army. And then we cut to the scene in the destroyed house with, I'm blanking Dr. on... Dr. Forrester. Dr. I should remember Dr. that. Dr. Clayton Forrester. Dr. Clayton Forrester and his love interest trying to get back out of the house after it's been destroyed. And of course, there's a scene where all of a sudden you see the alien hand on her shoulder. Ah! But the, yeah, the from short... There, yeah, from there it cut right... Cut, cut, cut right into the, you know, the, the church... Well, it goes right into the city with the aliens laying waste to L.A. and then goes into the church. So it was just, like like we said, it's like the cliff notes of War of the Worlds. Uh, next up was a movie I had just heard about called... I, I had not heard of this film. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know much more than the title, which is Reptilicus from I, 1961. And I honestly don't know. I think it's a foreign film. The main monster looked like a marionette. Because I know at one time I asked Tracy if it was Kukla Fran or Ollie that was attacking. Yeah, it's it's like a snaky dragon kind of thing. But yeah, it was being manipulated in, you know, as opposed to being stop motion, it was being manipulated in real time as if it were a marionette. So it was just kind and of... And we're going uh, to have to shoot it from close range or point blank. Yeah, that was lines. one of the lines. <laughs> just in case you didn't know what point blank and close range meant. So that that one was pretty bad. That one, it was better than the next one though. Oh, God, <laughs> Tom Tom uh, had a surprise for us. He had well in 1970 before Sylvester Stallone did Rocky and before he did Death Race 2000, he was in a low budget adult film called uh, a Party-, Party with Kitty and Stud. Right, and then after uh, Rocky. He was uh, the film was repackaged as the Italian Stallion, and he had the seventeen minute cut down highlights of the Italian Stallion, 
which highlights one, being a polite term. One of the things Tom said when he was uh, threading the film, he said, there is so much pubic hair in this film that sometimes it jams the projector. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was my first and hopefully last experience with 70s era. It was it was supposed to be softcore, but if so, this was the hardest softcore I've ever seen. And um, yeah, it, it, it wasn't the sex scenes that bothered me so much, but there was a lot of there was some violence. I mean, he's slapping yeah. the girl around. Yeah, it was it, it it was pretty bad. If you if you have not seen this and you're interested in it, seek professional help. But after that, he let us kind of pick what we wanted to see from what he had left, um, and we got a really good palate cleanser. We got to see 1935's The Raven with um, Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, which I have not seen this film, and I want to see this film badly. It looked really good. Yeah. Karloff's character was apparently a criminal fleeing who had escaped. I think he was a murderer. But he went to Bela Lugosi's character, who was a, a doctor and a plastic surgeon, and he wanted him to basically fix his face and make him more attractive so he wouldn't be recognized. Well, Lugosi is more of a mad scientist than just a doctor in this so he film. he makes him uglier, which think, in his thinking makes uh, Boris Karloff be more filled with rage and more willing to do basically Bella's bidding and well and he bribed him with I'll fix your face if you do what I want you to do and there from there we go into almost this Edgar Allan Poe inspired storyline of course course it's the Raven yeah there's the pit and the pendulum references and and walling people up and yeah. yeah so Bella and were these Again, I did, we couldn't get a feel from this Super 8 version if these were people he already knew or if these were strangers, but he takes two couples? Or was well, it a couple a, and, and two other It was a couple, and uh, we weren't really told who these people are, but I think the the guy that was tied up in the pit and the pendulum was the father of one of the of women the, yes. or something. But like I said, we just got a taste of this film, and I, I do want to track it down and see it. Yeah, it, I mean, it was so great to see... Lugosi and Karloff together at the height of their careers in 1935. I mean, I I could have just closed my eyes and just listened to both of them talk and would have enjoyed it. And then we wrap the evening up with The Deadly Mantis from 1957. A giant praying mantis defrosted out of an iceberg and attacks the world, distilled down to eight minutes. And again, we've seen this. Was this an MST3K movie? Or have we just... I remember seeing the full version somewhere sometime. I think it is. I think it is on MST3K. Now, like we said, this was all put together by Tom Stockman, who is part of the We Are the Movie Geeks. And he does this around the Midwest. Uh, He can be found on Facebook if you do a search for him. A lot of fun. Would highly recommend if you get a chance, uh, if he's coming anywhere near you, or if you live in St. Louis area, to go check one of his uh, shows out. Just if you've never seen this format, it was a, so much fun. You're getting the highlights. It, it's like watching Sports Center for movies, where we're just going to show you the highlights of the film just to, to let you let you know what happened. You don't get to see the whole thing, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we both really enjoyed it. So thanks, Derek, for letting us do this little guest segment. And we'll be back with more of the show right after this. Mm-hmm. 
We'll make sure there's relevant information at the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. And, of course, the show notes also appear on Facebook when the shows go live, and I start mentioning it on Facebook. We're on Facebook. We have both a page and a group. You can like the page and join the group. There's conversations happening there all the time. I'm blown away by the level of activity over there on Facebook. I hope just doing one show this week instead of two doesn't mean we're going to see a drop. But now y'all wouldn't let me down, would you? Would you? I didn't think so. You guys and gals have been great supporting the show on Facebook and giving us reviews in the iTunes store. It's been fantastic. I am touched by the outgoing of support that we've had for the podcast. If you want to get a hold of us, email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 503-4795-MKR. Maybe somebody can call in and let Scott know what Reptilicus is all about. It's kind of an infamous movie and, uh, well might be something worth covering here on the show down the line, especially since it was just released uh, by MGM on DVD in one of their Movies For You packs, four being the number four. It's, yeah. Anyways, for five bucks, they put out two of these DVDs, and Reptilicus is on one of these sets along with The Brain That Wouldn't Die, The Neanderthal Man, and The Amazing Transparent Man. I've got these in various editions here at the home, I believe put out by Mill Creek. I haven't watched these DVDs yet, but I suspect I will be as I'm recovering from my gallbladder surgery. And actually, just for fun, I put a poll up in the Facebook group asking the listeners what they think I should be watching while I'm recovering. Right now, people are suggesting that I check out The Outer Limits. That seems to be great recovery television viewing. If I can get it on my Roku, I think I will. Although I'm also thinking I'm going to watch a lot of Night Gallery. I love me some Night Gallery, although I don't own it on disc yet. One other bit of business that I want to mention real quick. Thank you to every Monster Kid Radio listener who threw a vote to the 99W Drive-In for Honda's Project Drive-In. Basically, the film distributors are forcing everybody to go digital. And we knew this was impacting the smaller movie theaters, the non-chain, the mom and pops, the places that only have one screen, things like that. It's also affecting the drive-ins. And the drive-ins, they are a dying piece of Americana. We have four in Oregon, and I'm quite lucky. But I know a lot of people don't. Well, Honda put together this project where they were going to award five digital projection upgrades, installations, conversions, whatever it is they need to do to make it so that they can continue to show movies since the distributors are only going to put out digital product from now on. The 99W was announced as one of the winners. We got the votes, and I know the Monster Kid Radio listeners helped to make that happen, so thank you for helping a drive-in out. Now, since the winners have been announced, Honda said they extended the voting. There are going to be four more winners, four more drive-ins are going to get the digital conversion, Head over to projectdrivein.com. Voting has been extended to September 21st. That's this upcoming Saturday. Four more drive-in movie theaters are going to get a hand, courtesy of Honda, to get the digital projector set up. And I mean, if you can help somebody out, if you can help a movie theater out, do so. You can vote, I believe, twice a day. Of course, there will be a link in the show notes. Thanks, everybody, who listened this week. Thanks again to Scott and Tracy for contributing this episode. We're going to have Scott and Tracy back again for some other full episodes produced by them. And I've got some recordings already in the bag, just needing to have a little bit of editing done to them. And I've got maybe two, three weeks worth of content ready to go. Perhaps one of the things that I can do while I'm recovering from my surgery is just edit a show or two. All updates about my surgery and car accident and everything else I'll probably talk about on Facebook. So you can find me over there. 
Let's wrap this up. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0, unported license. Thanks for listening. Sorry, only one show this week, and uh, hopefully you'll have two shows next time around. Have a good rest of your week, ladies and gentlemen, and be kind to your gallbladder. <laughs>